But that last song, Reckless Love, I know that's a, that's a song that a lot of people have claimed uh, for themselves, a lot of people have uh, taken in, and it's meant a lot to a lot of us because we know what it's like to be the one, right? We know what it's like to be the one. And when Corey Asbury wrote that song, the way he phrased it, there's nothing that will stop God from pursuing you, recklessly pursuing you, chasing you down. So I know every time we sing that song, it speaks to my heart. There's no doubt about it. Every time we sing that song, it's like, if it was only me, if I was just the only one, he would have pursued me. And in the times where I've been less than desirable, he's pursued me, recklessly going after me, knowing what I am, knowing what I'm like, knowing who I am, he has recklessly pursued me. Said all that to say this, I don't know where you're at in your life this morning. I know we're coming out of two years of just insanity. And I know people are starting to come back out. Some of you are still watching online and maybe that song is what you needed to hear. That no matter where you are, no matter what the last two years have been, no matter how much it has challenged your faith, no matter how much things right now are challenging your faith, God is still pursuing you. He's still coming after you. He loves you with an everlasting love that will never cease. He wants you to know that. And I'm glad you're here because that's how we feel about you. Don't think that you are too far gone. Don't think that you're, you've done anything that's so bad that nobody wants you around. Listen, we are a, we are a church, I, I believe, honestly, I believe we're a church that gets it. We don't, it's not about show, it's not about, uh, I mean, for crying out loud, we're meeting in an old chicken hatchery, you know what I'm saying? I remember when my parents, when my dad was the pastor and we, we bought this property, uh, it was crazy. Just crazy, right, why is it you were here? Uh, Said, I'll, I'll just say this, don't think you're too far gone. Don't think you're too far gone. And I'm so proud of our teenagers, by the way. That's awesome. And there's four kids that, they're my, there are four kids, even though they don't look like me, I think there's a strong resemblance, but people, be, be, yes, yes. Well, that's the old one that was handing everything out, yeah. All right, Matthew chapter five. If uh, I know I wasn't here last week, but we've been in a series on the Beatitudes, and this whole year is about trying to reconnect with maybe things in our faith that we haven't necessarily lost, but maybe we've lost touch with. We're talking, uh, the, the title of our series right now and the, the overall theme for our year is called Roots. It's getting back to our roots of our faith. I believe that it's been, it's, it's been a very tough time for the church, universal if you want to look at it that way. <clears throat> we've kind of lost our way a little bit. I think we've started focusing on, on many different things. We're, we're, we're focused on social causes, we're focused on politics, and that's just not what we're supposed to be doing. What these teenagers that were up here this morning, what that youth, team did great job by our youth team, by the way. What they did 
with these kids over the last four months is exactly what we are supposed to be about. Telling people about Jesus Christ. Living our faith in such a way that people see a difference, people ask those questions, and then we are ready with a response. And I think it's kind of been lost on a, on a larger level. So I just really felt compelled this year to try to reconnect all of us with the roots of our faith, with what our faith is supposed to be about. And what better teacher to learn from, what better teacher to listen to and dig into than, than Jesus Christ, what he taught. So we've been digging into the Sermon on the Mount, very first public sermon that Jesus preached. And he started it off with these amazing um, statements. And there's eight of them that we're going to be looking at, and we're halfway through. They're called the Beatitudes. And we've, we've taken them part one at a time and tried to see what it was that he was saying to us and then make some practical applications for our lives. Because if the Bible isn't practical, if your faith isn't practical, then your faith is useless. Just saying. If you're, that's why most Bibles just sit on a shelf collecting dust because it's not practical to people. They've never learned how to make their faith practical. By practical, I mean it's something that you can weave into the fabric of your life, something that affects you on a daily basis, something that causes you to make better choices. We're gonna be talking a lot about that this morning. So let's go ahead and read Matthew chapter five, beginning of verse three. And you stand with me as we read God's word, please. Matthew chapter five, verse three says, "'Blessed are the poor in spirit, "'for the kingdom of heaven is theirs. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the humble, for they will inherit the earth. That's also meek for those of you whose Bible says that. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called the sons of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for the kingdom of heaven is theirs. You are blessed when they insult you and persecute you and falsely say every kind of evil against you because of me. You may be seated. That last one is so, the, la the whole last section is so important for us nowadays because like it or not, our faith is under fire. Whether, it, whether you're in the midst of it or not, we in America, we tend to Americanize everything. And if it's not happening here, it's really not going on. But you have to look at things in a global sense. And if you just go to a, a website called Voice of the Martyrs, or look up Christian persecution in the world, you will find that this kind of stuff is going on all around the world. It may not be happening physically in America, but it's going on around the world. And here in America, our belief system is under attack. We may not be necessarily under attack physically, but our belief system is under attack. If you don't know what you believe, then you're going to fall into the trap of buying into societal pressure and saying, well, this is okay. And, and now the, the big, uh, the big uh, fad for a lot of pastors is to make the gospel and make their church palatable to society. Listen, I understand how, I'm not saying we're intentionally rude. I'm not saying we're intentionally, intentionally nasty, we try to push people away. 
But Jesus said, I've come to bring a sword. Jesus said, I've come, to, uh, I, I've come and I'll divide people. Not that he came to divide people, but he says, my, my teachings will divide people. And here, in his very first sermon, he says, you're going, you're blessed, that ble word blessed means happy, remember. You're incredibly blessed, you're incredibly happy if you are persecuted for my name's sake. Because you claim to be a follower of mine, the assumption is from Jesus, and he says it many other places in the scriptures, you will be persecuted. Now, persecution can take on many different forms. And we'll, like I said, we'll talk about that later on. I don't want to get into that. But we need to understand that if the world is accepting of you and they want, and, and they're just accepting of our church, we're doing something wrong, truly. And I don't, like I said, I don't mean that to be contrary or to be ugly to people. That's just the way it is. We're not here to be socially acceptable. We're here to bring the gospel of Jesus Christ to a world that needs him more than anything. Now, this fourth beatitude is where we're at. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. And we started this, this message uh, two weeks ago. And I want to renew, review a little bit of what we said because of what I went through, I gave you kind of a technical background of what, it, of, of this, of what this uh, beatitude is. And today we're going to get into the practical. When Jesus, uh, what Jesus does here in this fourth beatitude is to teach a spiritual lesson by using a natural example, physical hunger and thirst. I think it's brilliant because we can all identify with that, right? We can all identify with those days where it's been a long day, you haven't really had the time to stop for lunch, uh, or you've worked hard and you've worked up an appetite and you're hungry. Or the hot sun or, or shoveling the snow or whatever it is and you're thirsty and you need something, you're, you're, you're just, you've got a thirst in your body and you need something to drink. And Jesus takes a physical need, a physical example and makes an incredible spiritual application to us as his followers that we will be happy when we get to a state in our lives, in our walk with him, where we are literally hungry and thirsty in our spirit for his word. Maybe, maybe, that's, maybe that's a little foreign to you. Maybe that's never been the case. Maybe it's like a Sunday faith for you. And it's never been the case where you just say, I just need, I just need, I, I need an infusion of the word of God into my life. I need, I need some, some good worship time. Many of, us, I, many of us connect with worship music, right? We connect with Jesus music, as my boys call it. And it's a time where, where it just fills our heart with the things of God, fills our spirit. Get into the word of God, read the word of God, allow it to, allow it to permeate your spirit, meditate on it. When, when you develop a hunger and a thirst, something that you need, something that your day isn't complete with unless you get it, and that's when Jesus says you're going to be happy. As a follower of his, you're going to be happy. When you get to the end of the day, now I know nobody here has done this, right? But when you get to the end of the day and you, have, you, haven't, you, you just haven't taken the time to read, or you've gone a couple days without a really good prayer time or bringing your request to God, and you start to feel that in your spirit. 
that hunger and that thirst that I need some God time. And that's when you know you're starting to live what Jesus taught here. He wants us to understand that that longing in our spirit to know and to grow is designed and given to us by God to lead us to his word for answers. You see, that desire in your spirit, just like your physical body, when you're hungry, you know it's time to eat. In fact, sometimes if you've, if you've worked a lot and ever been like, uh, if you've had the, had the flu or something, you kind of crave salty because your, your body, you just, you're feeling that need. Our bodies are designed in such a way where when we're out of fuel, we need to refuel, right? We need something to eat. When we're, when, when we're out of, uh, when our bodies are getting a little dehydrated, we know it. It takes a physical toll on our body. Well, Jesus makes that application, and God has designed the walk, with, the walk of faith with Jesus in such a way where if, you are not, if you're not constantly, daily, in the Word, living Jesus Christ, keeping short accounts with Him, praying, staying connected with Him, you can feel it in your spirit. You can feel that in your spirit. Now, many times people will ignore that and those cravings start to go away and you start to fall farther and farther away from Jesus. Well, that's the danger zone, okay? So we have to first understand that that is a design of God, that we have a longing, a hungering in our spirit for the word of God. When we find those answers, that's how we grow and mature. Now, in the first sermon, I gave a couple, a couple points and I wanna just cover them real quick. The first one is this, Jesus is our source for spiritual nourishment. He calls himself the bread of life. You hunger for the bread of life, you will be filled. He calls, he says, come to me for the water of life. You're thirsty, I will give you a drink and you'll never thirst again. Then I gave you some important terms to remember. What righteousness is. The word, and we're gonna be talking a lot about this in this sermon, this part of it. The, word, the root word of righteousness is right. So what we're talking about when it comes to the things of God, when, come to, when it comes to talking about hungering and thirsting for righteousness, it's not like teenagers always have to be right. That's not the kind of right that we're talking about, right? I glance over to my side, my, my family section, because we have teenagers and you know the drill. Thank you, thank you. Righteousness with God is being right. We, remember the old times, we used to call it being right with God. Gotta get right with God. Gotta get right with God. Need a Jesus moment, gotta get right with God. Well, that's what righteousness is, being right with God and living right in God's eyes. When we express and we live righteousness, when our lives show righteousness and we live righteously before others, we're living right before God. Doesn't mean we're perfect, nobody's perfect, we're never gonna be perfect. That's what 1 John 1, 9 is there for. If you confess your sins, he's faithful and just to forgive you your sins, cleanse you from all unrighteousness so that you can get back on the, on the, route, on the road of righteousness. So the root word of righteousness is right. We talked about justification, and justification is when God declares us righteous. We are justified in God's eyes. What is, remember I, 
I use the phrase for justification, just as if I'd never sinned. That's how God sees us. When you accept Jesus Christ as your personal savior, when you ask him to come into your heart and take away your sin and give you eternal life, you are justified in the sight of God the Father. You are now clothed in the righteousness of Jesus Christ. And God the Father looks at you as, just, as justified or just as if you'd never sinned. Then we talked about the word sanctification, which is the process of living a life of God's purpose in such a way that it causes us to turn from sin. And I'm, I'm, I want to stay positive. I want to be positive. But to be positive, sometimes you have to point out problems, right? And I think the sanctification problem, the sanctification process is where we're losing it as Christians, at least in America. Because we want to be able to hang on to the world while we're still trying to live for Jesus. We want to hang on to our worldly activities and we want to hang on to the societal uh, acceptance while still trying to live for Jesus. Listen, there's a whole lot of scripture that talks about that. Can two walk together except they are in agreement? Go to James. Listen, if you don't ever want, if you don't want to find out about yourself, anybody ever been told about themselves? You've been told, yeah, I've been told. Oh, that's right. Tell you about yourself. You don't want to be told about yourself as a Christian. Don't read the book of James. James tells you about yourself. James says very clearly, very simply, a double-minded person is unstable in all their ways. So if you're trying to keep one foot in the church and one foot in the world, the Bible says you're double-minded and you're unstable. Man, that's just truth. And that, that whole idea of being right with God and the progressive nature of getting right with God and living for God is called sanctification. And we've kind of lost that because, you know what, we're more concerned about drawing a crowd than we are building people up in their faith. We're more concerned about giving a concert on Sunday mornings than really connecting people with worship. What I love about our worship team is that no matter who's up here, they understand, and this is, an, uh, uh, this is something we've cultivated. Zach and I have worked, Zach was the worship leader for a long time, and now he's over the worship team, and we've cultivated this in our church. Listen, we're not up here to perform. You're not up here to perform. You're not up here to show people what great talent you have. Listen, man, if God chooses to use you in that way and blesses people's hearts through the music, through your ministry, through your service to him, that's awesome. But we are supposed to reflect the glory back to him, not ourselves. So it doesn't matter whether you're completely on key. Unfortunately, we have people that can sing on key. I've only had to lead worship in this church one time, Brian, one time, man. It was ugly. It was ugly. I'm not going to lie. I'm not going to lie. It was ugly. Um, but... It doesn't matter whether you're on key or off key. The Bible says, make a joyful noise to the Lord. Serve the Lord with gladness. Come before his presence with singing. Amen. And that's what the Bible tells us to do. That's what God says touches his heart. That's what brings us into his presence. Enter his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise. Have you ever prayed that way? Have you ever prayed? That way, God, I'm coming into your, I come to your presence today praising you, thanking you. 
giving you the glory for all you've done. Listen, man, when you start doing those things, that's the sanctification process in your life. That is you. Now, now we're going to really kick it old school here. Uh, remember, mom and dad, it, when you talk about being sanctified, you're set apart. Ooh, we don't want to talk about that now. Set apart, right? You're sanctified. You're set apart. You're different. There's a difference. Not a, not a, 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 a Jesus people, you know, crazy Bible thumper that they all want to paint us as. Simply as people who live a life that is different because our priorities are different, because our worldview is different, because our passions are different, because we're trying our best to, be, to, to follow the sanctification process of growing closer to Jesus Christ, because we know that that's our best life. That's how we will be connected to our Savior. And quite honestly, that's how he's going to use us, and that's the life that he wants to bless us through. So we talked about sanctification. And then we talked about, just briefly, about glorification, because glorification is in the future. That's when we get to heaven and we're, we get our glorified bodies and we're, we're with him forever. And all of this stuff is over, right? All this stuff is over. Simple thought here is that living for Jesus, learning how to hunger and thirst for the life that he has for us is as easy as being hungry and thirsty. It's that easy. We complicate it, right? We complicate the walk of faith. So much so, man, you go, ever go to the, ever gone over to the Christian bookstore in West Springfield? Uh, and as far as Christian bookstores go, that's a small one. You go down south and there are chains of Christian bookstores. And they're monstrous. It's, it's like walking into the Walmart Christian bookstore, right? And they've got all kinds of different sections. And they've got the self-help. Listen, we've complicated growing in Christ so desperately that we have self-help books about. Listen, this is your self-help book, man. Right here. This is your self-help book. It's right here. Our problem is we don't want to read it on a consistent basis. Our problem is we don't want to come out to Bible studies. We don't want to get together with other believers. We don't want to make those phone calls. We don't want to listen to sermons or, or Bible studies online. We don't want to dig in and learn what the Bible has to say. I don't understand it. Well, ask somebody. And James says, if anyone asks wisdom, if anyone lacks wisdom, ask God. And he'll give you, and it says he'll give you liberally. Can, can I tell you a, a secret here? Maybe I'm going to let the cat out of the bag, okay? God wants you to be intelligent in your faith. He wants to teach you. He wants you to learn. He wants you to understand. He wants you to grow. He doesn't want you to be a baby. We're going to talk about that here in a minute. He doesn't want you to stay a baby that has to constantly be spoon-fed. He wants you to be able to walk on your own. He truly does, man. That's what he wants for you. So he made, he made the righteousness process, the desire for righteousness, to be as easy for us as being hungry and thirsty. That's it. Be hungry and thirsty in your spirit. So this morning we're going to look at, going to start, I don't know if we're going to, well, I can tell you right now, we're not going to get all the way through this. Surprise, Jonathan, we'll just keep this one for next week too, Okay. Give the, give the tech team a week off for uh, no more midnight Friday night sending it out.
So let's get a little practical. What does it mean to hunger and thirst for righteousness? What does that mean practically? Because like I said earlier, if the Bible isn't practical, if your faith isn't practical, then it's really not any good. We've all had those gifts given to us, right? It's like, what in the world is this thing for? Like, give me a comb. What's practical about that? You know what I'm saying? You know what I'm saying? Give me, give me, uh, remember Brill Cream, Ryan? Remember Brill, Brill Cream? Guys used to use that in their hair to slick their hair back. Give me a tube of Brill Cream. What's it good for? It's, it's not practical for me. It doesn't work. It's, there's nothing there. Turtle wax. That would, that's a good, that's a good gift. So we want to get practical. We want to find out what is it, hungering and thirsting for righteousness. Because I know sometimes when I was a kid, I would hear these things. Man, that's a great sight, by the way, Drew coming down to hold the child, man. Drew Brow, Drew Brow, Drew Brow, ladies and gentlemen. Hold the baby. This big rough and tough guy handling knives all the time. Ah, look at that, look at that. You got no hope, buddy. You're done, you're done. It has to be, I remember as a kid learning some of these things and, and, and hearing pastors preach and I couldn't quite grasp it because I was so young. And, but there was that desire in my spirit to learn what it meant. What does this mean? When Jesus says, I'm gonna be happy if I'm hungry and thirsty for righteousness, how do I do that? You know what I'm saying? How do I do that? What do I have to do in my life to be hungry and thirsty? What does that look like every day? What does it mean to hunger and thirst for righteousness? Well, the first thing I think it means is it means that you want to be grown up spiritually. You want to be grown up spiritually. We've all, remember when uh, you, you hit 13, I remember we were in the car the, uh, yesterday, I think it was, and Autumn was like, geez, I want to be in high school in two years. Like, I wanted to say, so I'll say it now in front of everybody instead of saying her, her wanted to say, well, Autumn, why don't we finish seventh grade? All right? Let's, let's finish seventh grade, and then let's go through eighth grade and make sure we get to high school, right? That's the plan. Let's, let's make sure we do what we need to do to get to high school. But what I loved about that is Autumn has hope. You know what I'm saying? Autumn has hope. She's like, I can't wait to get to high school. There's hope there. There was a time when that wasn't there. There's a time in our lives when hope wasn't there. But now, hungering and thirsting for righteousness gives us a hope that there's something more for us. We want to be grown spiritually. We want to be grown-ups spiritually for whatever reason. Man, maybe, maybe, you wanna, maybe you wanna be able to teach others. Maybe you wanna help others. Maybe you wanna be able to, hey, I don't know, some people are, are this weird. Maybe you wanna get a job and be able to help the church financially. Whatever it is, man, you wanna be a grown-up spiritually. That's what it means to hunger and thirst. And I'm sorry, my, my shoes just keep squeaking up here. It's like a basketball court. You hunger and thirst for righteousness. It means you wanna be grown-up spiritually. You have a desire 
to consume the principles of the Word of God. Remember, that's what Jesus said. I am the bread of life. Consume me. I give you the water of life. Quench your thirst spiritually with the water I give you. Be hungry and thirsty for what I offer you. 2 Peter 2.2 says, Like newborn infants, desire the pure milk of the word, so that by it you may grow up into your salvation. Christian, the walk with Jesus Christ, the life of faith, the Christian life, however you want to say it, is a process. All right, it's a process. It's not a destination, it's a journey. It's a walk. Sometimes it's a run. Sometimes, we don't like to hear this either, but sometimes it's a bench to sit on and rest. He leads me beside still water. He restores my soul. You see, it's a journey that we go on to grow. And it starts by accepting the fact that you, when you accept Christ as your Savior, no matter how much you think you know, you don't know what you don't know. I was talking with, uh, having a conversation, uh, I think it was with Zach and another guy in ministry. I said, one of, the, one of the greatest lessons I've learned as I've grown older as a pastor is I don't know what I don't know. And I need to learn. I need to constantly be learning, constantly be learning. And that doesn't mean I have to learn how to use the new iPhone. Doesn't mean, sorry, no offense to Apple. Doesn't mean I need to learn how to use every app on my MacBook. That's not what I'm talking about. I need to learn the things that I don't know about Jesus. I need to learn the deeper understandings of following him and living for him. I need to understand the things that I don't know and don't understand. I need to understand, I need to learn the things that will help me to become more profitable for the kingdom of God. I need to learn and I need to admit that I don't know what I don't know. Why? Why is it so vital that you grow in your faith? Christian, why is it so incredibly vital that you hunger and thirst for the gospel, for the word of God in your life? Why is that so important that you grow? Because immature Christians make immature decisions. Immature Christians make immature decisions. You remember what it was like when you were a kid, right? I'm sure you had it all together. Lewis in here? And Lewis, Lewis out, is out there. We were, we were talking at the door this morning about um, things some people did when they were teenagers, you know, smoking that weed that has a little funny smell. So I never did. I, honestly, I never did. I know a lot. I know that made me unusual for my generation, but I never did. But other people did. And... When you were teenagers, I had a lot of friends that partied a lot. I had a lot of friends that just, they rebelled. And I know, and I know none of your kids, none of our t- kids here in here do this, but they rebelled just to be rebellious, right? If mom and dad said, the sky is blue, you're going to say, the sky is, it's azure. 
right? It's not blue, it's sky blue, right? Okay, all right, knucklehead. Have a, have, have a cracker. <sighs> immature Christians make immature decisions. That's why the Bible says we're not to put novices or newbies in positions of leadership and authority. Why? Because spiritual, spiritual uh, leadership requires spiritual depth and understanding. And immature Christians that are put in leadership make immature decisions. In your life, it's vital that you grow. Why? Because immature Christians make immature decisions. That's why the Bible says we are surrounded with a great cloud of witnesses from the word. And that's why the Bible tells us to surround ourselves with good, solid Christian people who know more than we do so that we can learn from them. Immature Christians seek shallow power and recognition. We just talked about that, right? Immature Christians are all about the recognition. They're all about the power. I want the power to make the decisions. I want things done my way. When you grow and learn that we all have gifts and talents from God, and we're all placed in this body to accomplish a certain purpose, and it doesn't matter if you're the foot or the brain, you're going to be blessed by God, not by your gift, but by your faithfulness. You're gonna be blessed by God for your willingness. And God is going to bless your work and your sacrifice and your gift and your ability to serve and follow through to serve with blessings the same for you as it is for me. God doesn't judge us based on our ability. God blesses us based on our faithfulness. I, I look at as, one of, the, one of the greatest comments, I won't say complaint because people don't, don't complain when they say this. One of the greatest comments and regrets that older Christians have as they get older is that they don't have the same energy to serve as they did. Their bodies just don't do the same things they did when they were younger. Man, can I, I'll share with you what I share with them. Listen, then it's time to transition. It's time to transition. And you are, at, at one time you were the servant, now you're the teacher. Now you're the advisor. Now you're the prayer warrior. Now you're the, you are the strength and backbone of the church. You're the generation that is raising up the new generation. You're never done. And it's not about the, the it's not about what you accomplish, it's how you accomplish it for the kingdom of God. Immature Christians cause very mature problems when they act immaturely. And that's why we need to grow in our faith. Immature Christians cause, cause very mature problems when they act immaturely. So you need to grow. What else does it mean? It means that you want to pursue the right way of living. You want to pursue the right way to live. One of my favorite songs growing up, still one of my favorite songs today and until today is, I Have Decided. Anybody remember that song? I have de I've decided to follow Jesus. No turning back. No turning back. And as a teenager, many of you have sang it as a teenager, 
We never really got this part until we became adults. Though no one joins me, still I will follow. Man, as an adult, that takes on a whole new meaning, doesn't it? My greatest prayer for these teenagers that were up here and the teenagers that weren't able to be here this morning is that we as a church and you as families instill in them a passion that goes beyond youth. Because the fact of the matter is, most young people that grow up in church leave the church. And it's because, I, I, think, I think there's several reasons for it, but one of the reasons is we try to build ministry on the back of teenagers. You can't do that. Go back to the last point. Immature Christians make immature decisions. They're kids. Oh, they're, they're so deep in their faith. Are you crazy? Have you lost your righteous mind? You're telling me a teenager? They haven't lived. It's like that Miley Cyrus song she sang, what was she, 15? It's, it's the climb. What have you climbed? You're 15 years old. What have you lived? Sorry, did they put hot sauce on your taco when you didn't want it? Seriously, man, you have no idea what life is about. You're trying to sing to me about it's not, the, it's not how fast I get there. It's what's waiting on the, it's the climb. Oh, come on, man. These are kids. We teach them. We pray for them. We invest in them. But we don't build our church on them. We build our church with them. We instill in them what it means to be a lover of Jesus Christ. And we live in front of them and we, we continue as parents to show them the example of what it means to live for Jesus. We show them the example of what it means to, when life is difficult, we turn to him. Yes, man, we can have bad days. Yes, we can have discussions in our home with our spouses, even, yay, even disagreements, right? But we turn to Jesus, and at the end of the day, we love him and we love each other, and we make it work because we're followers of Jesus, and that's what we're called to do. The reason we lose so many young people, the reason we lose so many young Christians from churches is because we're not instilling in them what the Bible has to say about being strong in your faith every day. Listen, man, we need to live that. We're coming out of a time where right now we've got a lot of people out there seeking. I I understand I, I didn't know what God was doing uh, when, when he really laid it on my heart to go work over at the school and when it, it took Aaron over there. I do now, man. Holy, holy cow. So many questions about faith. So many questions about life. I have to be careful because I can't start the conversation. But man, once the question's asked, all bets are off. Those same people that ask me and ask Aaron questions are gonna ask you questions. They're searching, they're hungry, they wanna know because people are terrified of what's going on in the world today. We have a mom here this morning, I don't mean to point you out, we have a mom here this morning whose son, praise God, dad, he's a, he's, he's a Navy man. My, my family will love that. I personally have an issue, but um, I was Army, so leave me alone. Um, all right? Her son was just deployed this week. 
and uh, won't tell you because we'll have to kill you. <laughs> Old military joke. It's not, it's not a time of overwhelming joy right now, is it? Well, if we as Christians who have hope are seeing the world this way and seeing life this way right now, what do you think those people who have no hope eternally are thinking and seeing right now? Do you see why it's so important that we hunger and thirst for righteousness and desire to walk the walk for Jesus Christ that makes us better followers of his and weaves into our lives a pattern of faithfulness and love and grace and peace, not anger, not frustration, not making our point just to make a point, but weaving within our lives the grace of God to be ready at any time to tell people about our Jesus. It makes you want to pursue the right way of living as is taught in the Bible, not as is culturally relevant, as is taught in the Bible. The principles of the Word of God that was written over 2,000 years ago, some of it over 3,000 years ago, are as real and relevant to life today as they were back then. Don't let anybody tell you any different. They're as relevant today as they are back then. That's why the Bible is a book of principles and not rules. Psalm 42, one and two, as a deer longs for flowing streams, so I long for you, God. I thirst for God, the living God. When can I come and appear before God? Psalm 63, one, God, you are my God. I eagerly seek you. I thirst for you. My body faints for you in a land that is dry, desolate, and without water. Ever, have you said it recently, even so, come Lord Jesus? Talk with some of those some of those people who are so connected and that's, that's what they say. Man, even so, come Lord Jesus. Deliver me from this. Proverbs 21, 21, the one who pursues righteousness and faithful love will find life, righteousness, and honor. Let's boil it down to a little bit more practicality, shall we? What does it mean to hunger and thirst for righteousness? What does it mean that you want to pursue the right way of living? It means that you live life with biblical morality, ethics, and conduct. Biblical morality, ethics, and conduct. In a world, in a society that can't spell morality, we need to be Christian morality. Oh, yeah, yeah, that you, you think this, I don't think anything, please. Don't assume. Find out, what the, find out what the Bible says, how we're supposed to live in this present age. It's the same way the disciples were supposed to live in the first century. Live with biblical morality, biblical ethics. I listen, I could, tell, I could hook you up with business owners that are being prosperous in these times because they're following the biblical model. We have several of them in our church. God's blessing them and their families because they are following the biblical model. I can, I can connect you with families in our church that are prospering in this time. Yeah, they're paying a little more for gas, but God's still blessing them and they're prospering. Why? Because they're following the biblical model of ethics and morality. It works. It works if you work it. 
And it means you want to be eternally, eternal goals oriented. This is the point we'll end with today. It means that you want to be eternal goals oriented. Psalm 121, 127.1. Unless the Lord builds a house, it bu- its builders labor over it in vain. Unless the Lord watches over a city, the watchman stays alert in vain. Unless the Lord builds a house. Listen, uh, the Bible says in many places, describes our bodies as a temple, right? This earthly tabernacle, this earthly temple built on the foundation of Jesus Christ. But unless he builds the house, unless you allow the principles of Jesus Christ to permeate your life and allow the Holy Spirit to lead you in his way, man, the life you're building is just vain. It's empty. It's just empty. Oh, you might have some success here as humanity goes, but what are you, remember that old song, remember the song was on the radio 10 or 12 years ago, that's all the, maybe it was 20, that's all the lumber you sent? It's a, it's a story of a guy who had a dream and he dies and he goes to heaven and he's walked, and this isn't theologically correct, I'm just, it's just a song, all right? And they, they walk him through heaven and he sees all these amazing homes, all these beautiful, beautiful homes. They keep walking, they keep walking, and the neighborhood gets a little, little less and a little less and a little less and a little less. They finally get down to this little one-room shack. Right? Here's, here's your eternal home. And the guy's like, what do you mean? I used to sing, I have a mansion over the hilltop. What are you talking about? And the angel looks at him and says, hey, that's all the lumber you sent. Ooh. Whoa. Whoa. Hey, man, don't lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust corrupt and where thieves break through and steal. Lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where moth and rust don't corrupt and where thieves don't break through and steal. Oh, here's the tagline, man. Where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. Like I said, Don't hold me to the theological truth of that song, but the lesson sure is a good one, isn't it? It's all the lumber you sent, man. That's all you gave me to work with. Even even a chef like Drew, he's the only one we have in here, right? Even a chef like Drew. Now, Drew amazed me one day. I went into his restaurant and we went out to lunch and he said, uh, he had a a pineapple in his, I don't know if you remember it. He had a pineapple in his walk-in that was about rotten. And I'm like, you know, throw it out. He says, you know, I took that and I thought about it and I, I uh, made a chutney out of it. And it was a, spe- I was like, what, what, what? But listen, okay, thank you, Chef Tell. Appreciate it. Gosh, he's not the guy to use for an example because I could give him an onion and he'd make a gourmet meal. But for most of us, it, like if you, if, if you gave us a, a, a mud ball, how about I use a mud ball? We'll give you a mud ball. You're not going to make a meal out of that, right? Just not go, don't even talk. <laughs> don't start, don't start, all right? <laughs> Man, we have to understand, you can either live locally or you can live eternally. You can either have a local mindset or you can have an eternal mindset. Guess which one Jesus wants you to have? 
Guess which one builds a church? Guess which one builds a kingdom? Guess which one changes lives forever and ever and ever, man? It's the kingdom mindset. It's the eternal mindset. And that's what Jesus wants us to have. How do we get there from here? We hunger and thirst for righteousness. We hunger and thirst for what he has for us in his word. That's how we get there. Proverbs 3, 5, and 6, trust in the Lord with all your heart. Do not rely on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him, and he will make your path straight. You need to have eternal goals. Listen, man, you take care of your family. You, 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 you uh, had a good conversation with my kids in the car last night. Uh, and I think, it was, I think it was Gabriel was giving us all a, a financial lesson. He's like, People don't pay their bills. They lose everything. They lose their, like, <laughs> okay, 10 years old. All right, all right. Time to start investing, Gabriel. Right? Like, wow, okay. Let's make that practical, shall we? Church, if we don't start investing in ourselves, in our, in our church, and in eternity, we're going to lose everything. Let's pray. Thank you, Lord, for the privilege of being back here. God, missing last Sunday was one of the, one of the hardest things I've done. God, I love church. I love your people. I love new life. I love the atmosphere, the environment. Thank you for the privilege. I can truly say that today. Thank you for the privilege of being here today. Thank you for all those who came out. Lord, thank you for those who weren't able to be here with us, but have joined us online and Father, we thank you for all your blessings. Thank you for giving us a church to come to. Lord, it truly has been great to be in your house today. Father, now's the time for us to live what we say we believe. Father, we walk out of these doors and, and we leave this behind. Lord, your word tells us that we are to hunger and thirst for your righteousness, for your way of living. Father, put that in our spirit. Put that in our soul. God, give us a desire in our spirit to know more about you and allow that to grow inside and, and then show itself on the outside. And God, give us opportunities to change our community, our world for you. Lord, every one of us are gonna see and meet people we've, perhaps we've never met, people who don't know you, we're all gonna have those, those uh, confrontations throughout this week. God, may we be open enough and in tune enough to your leading when you provide the opportunity for us to live your word. May we do it. Give us the courage to walk through every open door. God, give us the courage to, to speak your name to situations that need to hear it. And God, may we honor you May we go forward today as worshipers living for you. Thank you again for the privilege of being here. Thank you for those who were able to, to be here with us, Lord. May you bless the fellowship time after. In your name we pray, amen.